Good afternoon, MedVet listeners. Today we have a wonderful, fantastic, informational podcast for you on this wonderful Sunday afternoon from Jesse Lopez, who in my eyes is a celebrity, an up-and-coming star in the medical industry. So make sure you tune in and stay focused and turn your volumes up as we get ready to stir that pot. The force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. All right, so thank you for joining us today on the MedVets podcast today. We have Jesse Lopez, who is a up-and-coming star, I think, in my eyes, and I know KP could second that. He is really shedding a lot of light on the medical industry. And Jesse, I am so glad to have you here today. So definitely thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What, what I would like to start with, Jesse, is to... All right, so basically, I started following you off of LinkedIn because you're shedding a lot of light where there was darkness in the medical industry. And you have been growing and picking up traction. Watching your videos, I'm like, man, Keith, we got to do this. I don't think yeah. you can do it like him, but we got to do this too. What I want to know is, let us know a little bit about your background, what it is you do, and how you got started making those videos. Well, um, it's it's been a long journey, actually. Um, I started my career as a veterinary technician um, about, I want to say, 18 years ago. Um, okay. I originally wanted to be a zoologist, um, so I took that path into it. Uh, things didn't work out, life happened, so I wind up, you know, giving that up for a while, went into the manufacturing business for a while, um, for food manufacturing as a uh, sanitarian, um, and then I fell into the field of surgical tech, so um, I love working with my hands, I'm a hands-on person, so I worked as a surge tech for about eight years alongside um, being a sterile processor. Um, I actually got my foot in the door through a sterile processing um, internship, and I was volunteering at a hospital for a year um, and doing surgical tech at the same time. Um, I fell in love with surgical tech, um, uh, but things didn't work out in my favor, so I got into the sterile processing field um, where I was basically in my own little world. Um, so I couldn't deal with the doctors, let's put it that way. The doctors and the, as a surge tech, <clears throat> my background, <laughs> certain ways of vocal vocalization. So I was like, nah, this isn't for me. So let me I get into you. the processing field. And um, like I said, I love working with my hands and with um I was in a really um large hospital in the area in the Philadelphia area um that was doing about 120 cases a day, probably every service line, um, trauma. Uh, everything. So I was seeing a vast majority of instrumentation. I was like, oh man, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 11 years in, um, I decided, started going to the conferences and educating myself more. And the more I went to conferences, um, excuse my French, but the more, BS, nah, go ahead. the more BS I started hearing. And I'm like, ah, we don't do that like that. What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> what we're doing, you know? And the more I educated myself, the more as I was like, you know, something I got to like somehow present this to the general public and to all technicians coming in that what you see or what you're learning is not what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, and the scary part about it is that 
a lot what we do is for the money. It's never mm. about patient care. Um, and, and that's the general direction we want to head into, mm -hmm. but that's not what we're actually doing. So I started this little um, video trend um, podcast called Stir That Pot. And Stir that I, pot. Did it to, I did it to open people's minds to think about what's really going on. Our standards say one thing, but our practice is completely different. Um, and, and and I wanted it, and I wanted it to, I wanted to present it in a way that um, wasn't rehearsed. I felt like every conference, every speaker, and even all the people that I was like, "Dag, I want to, I want to, I want to be like that individual." It was a rehearsed presentation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to I'm going to stop this trend. I'm going to do it raw. Um, you're either going to like me or you're not. But I'm going to tell you the truth down to the nitty gritty. And I'm going to expose what it is that we do and what we should be doing and then open people's eyes as to how we get there. I'm not going to give yeah. you the answer, answer. If I did, I'd probably be making all the big bucks. But opening <laughs> up the industry eyes to say, hey. How can we get there? Because this is what we're saying we're doing and we, we should be doing, but we're not mm -hmm. doing none of it. Stop, stop the line. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, one of the things I've noticed is patients don't know we exist. Meaning, I'm not saying start processing. And that's one of the things I love about uh, uh, Karen and her team and what she's doing. Is we had a conversation with her uh, maybe about a year ago, but patients don't realize that store processing is kind of the hub, you know, give me an example. When I heard about um, Alex Smith, the football player who was injured a couple of years ago, and I heard he had to have like 17 surgery because he had, he had a number of infections. Patients don't look at that. They don't look, you know, an infection can come from anything within the hospital. You know, airborne infections, you have an, an infection from, from, from the instruments. So when I was hearing about, you know, that football player where he was going to, I was like, man, you know, patients don't really, when they're looking at a hospital, they need to start looking at the infection rate of the hospital as well. You know, all these hospitals are going to say, well, hey, we got all the bells and whistles. We got the, the best doctor, the best, you know, imaging. But what about, you know, your infection rate? You know, what are you guys doing to, to do the kind of things? And that's why I say, again, it, I really appreciate what you're doing um, and others, you know, in your field are doing really being vocal because most patients don't know that you guys exist. And then also, um, they don't know how essential you guys are in the process. So I commend you, mm -hmm. kudos to you, because yeah, they really don't know about you know what goes on. And, and I it's it. crazy that the, the big ahead. thing too. You say patients don't know we exist. People in the medical field don't know we exist. That's why when I did my business, it's WDYD because every time I told people that I'm a sterile processor, the first question, even doctors, is like, "What do you do?" <laughs> and that's what the, what WD stands. What do you mean? Like, I do not know that we exist. <laughs> like you use our instruments all day long, and you don't know what sterile processing is. Nobody in the medical field. I, I mean, don't nobody. They say it all the time when we try to um, educate individuals. Is nobody grows up and says, "I want to be a sterile processor," because nobody knows that field exists in the medical field in general public. Nobody. I didn't know it existed. Surgical mm -hmm. tech was something that I was like, oh, just nurses do that. And when I looked into the field, I'm like, oh, wait, mm -hmm. I can do yeah. that. And then I seen still a process and I'm like, oh, OK, this this is different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, and I agree because, you know, me as a patient. Right. I'm like kind of I'm super novice, but 
I'm pretty sure most patients think that when they open up those kits, they, they pull back that cell pack. That's a new instrument. Every patient thinks that, I mean, I, they probably just order this. And they're going to throw it away after. But that's not yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's and it's funny that. because, yeah, my brother, my brother, um, about five years ago was a um, uh, heart transplant and kidney transplant recipient. And that's mm -hmm. when he learned that I did this, you know, when he was going into surgery, he was asking me a lot of questions because I knew I was familiar with the surgery. And he was like, well, where do we get the instruments from? I'm like, we clean them and we use them again. He goes, what do you mean we clean them and use them? They use it on somebody <laughs> else. Well, bro, when you go to a restaurant, do you think you get new <laughs> Somebody else stuck that in their mouth. So that's a great point. <laughs> that's a great point. <laughs> somebody else stuck hey. that in their mouth. <laughs> oh, no, you're absolutely right. All right. Well, moving forward, I'm bringing my own plastic fork and knife when I go to a restaurant. I got a few questions about stir that pot. So is is it are the videos just on LinkedIn? Are they on YouTube as well? Where do you where do you share all your content? Um most of my short videos are on LinkedIn mm. and Instagram and YouTube. Um and then okay. the actual podcast show is just an audio show and you can find that on Spotify and all the other podcasts. Wow um, okay and it's called Stir That Pot. So all the listeners, please go check it out. I mean, he is shedding a lot of light, like we said before. Second question, Jesse, do you receive a lot of blowback because of the things you say? How's that been? I do. And yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, mm -hmm. it may, mainly in the DM, they get in my comments and tell me, yo, man, you can't say that. Or, you know, are you, you know, why are you saying that or stuff like that? But it don't bother me at, at all. It's, I, I like to open up again. That's the whole purpose of Stir That Pot is to generate that conversation because, again, they know they're wrong. They know because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, speak eye to eye. They're like, oh, I appreciate what you're doing, but you know, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to keep nah. doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I hear that. Because you talked about earlier, you mentioned uh, practice and procedures, right? So we talk about the manufacturers I have used versus the hospital procedures. Not everything is one size fit all. So can you explain that a little bit more for the listeners? Well, yeah. I mean, the IFUs are basically the directions that you get with everything that you ever buy, whether it be dishes. I mean, probably about a month ago, I threw out an IFU for a brand new plate set that I bought. And it mm -hmm. sounds exactly like a medical instrument that we buy. Everything you buy comes with an instruction for use. How do you operate your radio, your car? Um, but it's there to guide us to upkeep what we have. It's to take care of it so it lasts long. The mm -hmm. problem is, is it's not available for you right there all the time. And our standards, which gives us the bigger guidance, gives us room for interpretation. And that's where the policy and procedures of the hospitals come in at. They look at the standards, they look at the IFUs, and then they interpret it so that their facility can compensate for what's going on. Okay, we're insulating testing, but we don't have an insulator tester. So how else do can we do this according to the standards? Or we're supposed to use a boroscope, where it's telling us suggested to use a boroscope to look at lumens, but we don't have a boroscope. So how do we read the IFU or the standards to allow us to still um, process that instrument. So the hospitals develop their policies and procedures in order to cover those baselines so that when an auditor comes in, they can say, hey, this is what the standard says, but this is what our hospital is doing that's in line, not subpar, but in line to doing what we're doing. Okay. And, and you know, I, I can kind of, you know, relate to that because one of my challenges are the IFUs for the implants 
And <laughs> we're, 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 hey, we, we're getting started. Uh, you know, so I look at, uh, so again, I do medical devices. So I, I work with seven or eight different manufacturers, uh, spine implants, biologics, many different things. And when, you know, Marks and I were going through, um, you know, some challenges a couple of years ago, we actually looked at IFUs of like seven different manufacturers. Each one had different guidelines as far as um, the temperature the set should be at, uh, how they should wash things, the drying time, a number of things. And, you know, with a lot of the hospitals, um, they're treating the implants like standard instrument sets. And I use the example of an exotic car versus, you know, my Lexus. So I will take my Lexus to one of these um, car wash places all day long, get it on a little track, mess up my axle, you know, put whatever kind of cleaning agents you want on it. I can take it to this place one day, another place tomorrow, and I'm cool. I'm like, hey, it's just my standard, you know, workhorse running the mill car. Now, if I had an exotic car, I would assume that somebody had um, a Lamborghini, Ferrari, they're getting it detailed. They're getting more attention given to that vehicle. They're not going to take it to a standard um, car wash place. They want to make sure that, hey, this is different. And the implants should be treated the same way. They shouldn't be just a standard process. Oh, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run the major set or the total knee set with all these instruments the same way as they do on implants. No, these implants are going into a patient's body. And at times, those implants can get defective over time through harsh chemicals. And another thing I try to educate somebody the other day, like, don't you know that these implant sets are loaned by the to the hospital? They don't own these sets. And so there's no chain of uh, custody for these sets. The other hospital may have used Clorox on their cleaning process. Another one going to use Ajax. I'm, I'm just saying that just for generic terms. Yes. But there's no history no record of these implant sets. And I, and I tell people, like, these hospitals are more concerned with vendor verification and telecentrics, you know, simpler. But what about these implants? There should be an implant verifier to say, hey, these implants have been, the life cycle is 50 times. Well, shouldn't we remove it from the inventory to make sure it doesn't go into a patient? But, man, I, we can really have a, a genuine conversation about this right now. Well, it, it, and see what people don't understand about implants and most of the IFUs on implants will tell you do not reuse if it becomes soiled in any sense. Standards hey, repeat that, repeat that one more time, Jesse. Repeat that for the people <laughs> in the bag. All the majority of implants that I've seen mm -hmm. of all IFUs state mm -hmm. that do not reuse if they become soiled or in contact with patient body fluids. Mm-hmm. Standard precautions state for sterile processing that any instrument that's opened in a room with a patient present is considered contaminated. If that is what we're practicing, then those instruments, those implants cannot be reprocessed because there is a chance of contamination, regardless of whether it touched the patient, but standard precautions tells you because Accidentally, the scrub tech can touch an implant that he did not need and his hands are soiled. So automatically, that instrument, that implant is soiled. So it should not be reprocessed. It is considered discarded. 
But we process them over and over and over again because the majority of implants are included in sets with basic instruments for Mm -hmm. specialized instruments for that set. So they reprocess Mm -hmm. it. And it all comes down to the almighty dollar. What's the price of an implant? Mm -hmm. Thousands. Thousands. A screw. A screw is, yo, a screw price is ridiculous. Ridiculous, but you'll have an implant set with let's say 500 screws in there, and they're only going to use six on the patient. The rest of those implants are garbage. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick, real quick, KP. I just want to say, I want to make the listeners know we created this podcast for education to really shed that light. And I thank you, Jesse, for really doing that. And we, I titled this podcast, we titled this podcast, Things That Make You Go Hmm, because. KP, you know, he always brings up that Arsenio Hall thing. I, I'm too young, so I don't really know what it means. But I guess Arsenio Hall had a segment, things that make you go, hmm. And a lot of patients don't know exactly what you're saying. But as you said, Jesse, the instructions for youth say exactly that. My fault, KP, but go ahead. But, 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 <laughs> but Jesse, now, I'm being sarcastic right now, just so you know. Go ahead, um, yes. But, okay, but once you sterilize the implants, it's all good. So it may be on a sterile field, but if we sterilized it at 270 degrees, we wash it now, there's no way that it's gonna it's gonna bore microorganisms. We sterilized it, so it's good to go. It had a new clean bill of health. So right. what do you think about that? You're right. Let me tell you something. Yes, you're gonna put it in a sterilizer and it's gonna be sterile. But once you open, once a set leaves out of a sterilizer, it is no longer sterile. Okay, there is no such thing as a sterile field. We create a sterile field, but it's an open environment. Once you open a set up in the OR, it is no longer considered sterile. That door, you know, just as well as I do, that circulating nurse enters that room back and forth. Air currents carrying <laughs> microbes from the floor. That nurse has been sitting in the cafeteria. She went outside to her car to pick up her badge that she forgot. She don't want to go talk to Dr. Jason in the OR in the in ortho room. Went downstairs to central processing to chew out the central processors and then did the case with the same sneakers she walked that whole hospital with. You don't think those microbes are up in the air and on that set? Yes, you do get a nice sterile set coming out of there, implant or not. We done did our diligence in our in, in the in decon. We done hand washed it very well. We put it through the ultrasonic. We put it through the uh, automated cleaner. That instrument is considered. We did our uh, soil testing and we verified that there are no soils on that implant. We threw it at the right parameters that are given to us in the IFU by the manufacturer to give us the sterility assurance level of 10 to the negative six. Yes, we got a sterile instrument, but because your IFU tells me that you cannot use it, it is a one-time use instrument. It is discarded. You can't have both. You can't have both. Brother, I'm, I'm, brother I, I, I wish you, like I said, before we, before we got started, I feel like I'm a little bit starstruck because you really capture what I've yeah. been talking about for a number of years. And I'm gonna give you. Um, hey, this is Sunday. Uh, you taking us to church? You taking us to church, man? Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm, so, so I'm, I'm I'm gonna give you a little scenario. I had 2017. 
Um, so as a medical device rep, you know, it's very competitive. You know, we are a commodity market, you know, hands down, that's, that's what it is. And so I, being that one other in the military, two, I was on the other field in the operating room, meaning I was a surgical tech. So I do have what I like to say, you know, pretty damn good ethics in the operating room. And I try, I thrive to provide good service. So 2017, we were doing a revision back surgery. The, the patient had surgery maybe um, 10 years prior. Um, we go get the op notes and, you know, we look at the op notes, the prior surgeon failed to dictate the implant system that they had. Okay, cool. Um, the hospital, you know, the hospital only has to re re retain their records for seven years. So what do we do? Normal procedure, if you don't have an information, we bring in a universal removal set. So we bring the patient into the operating room, we expose the patient, we brought in the kitchen sink, and just so you know, Marcus, the kitchen sink means we bring in everything to get these implants out. Um, unfortunately, we could not get you know, the implants out of the patient. And, you know, me trying to provide great service, I was like, shit, you know, the doctor looking at me, Casey can't get this out, what's going on? I'm like, I looked at the op notes, we couldn't identify the manufacturer. I hover over the patient and I take a picture of the implant, of the, the top of the screw, send it to my network. I get a response, hey, that implant, the manufacturer was purchased a couple of years ago, and that implant had a proprietary tool to remove it. And I was like, wow. And so unfortunately, the patient had to go through another surgery like three days later, once we got the correct implants. And, you know, I was like, no, how do we address this? How do we make sure that we provide better patient care to the patient? I was like, why isn't there a database for implants so that we can take care of the patients a lot better to avoid these from happening? But nobody's concerned about that. I've had conversations with, you know, um, hospitals with board members, and I'm like, yo, what happens when the patient needs a revision surgery? They're like, well, Keith, that patient may not have the same surgeon. They may go to a different hospital for that surgery. So, like, basically, it's not my problem. And so I'm looking at it from the manufacturer side. It's like, well, somebody needs to do something. You know, we got to take better care of the patients. But at the end of the day, it's all about that mighty dollar. Once the patient leaves the OR table, if I, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's like a, a, a Vegas dealer, I'm out. You know, hey, I got, you know, I got, I got my codes. I'm going to get reimbursed for this. If they need revision surgery, they may go to another hospital. It's not my problem. But it's like, man. I actually was in a boardroom and they told me like, yeah, keep that my problem. Like, well, what about doing the right thing? <laughs> what about recording the lot numbers, recording the things necessary for these patients? But I was like, man, somebody got to do it. You know, it, it's got to be me on that side of things. But man, I, I just really, I applaud you for doing what you're doing because it's making me want to speak more about it, you know, as well. What are your thoughts as far as, you know, um, hospitals, outsourcing or doing third-party processing of the uh, outdoor processing? So it, it, it's, it's again, that, that third-party, it's all, again, uh, to me, 
and I hope the FDA don't come looking for me. They're the, they're the devil, yo. The FDA is the greater evil of them all because I mean, a lot of stuff that they allow um, with the third party reprocessors is crazy to me. Um, stuff that we can't process in the hospital, they allow third party processors to reprocess them, even though it has a single use. IFU, and for some reason they can bring it back to life. I, I don't, I don't see how that happens. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not very fond of third party processes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I was just very, you know, curious about that because, you know, I, you know, a lot of, you know, the hospital are looking at it as, you know, as a way for them to save money, a way for them to save money as far as, you know, um, water, electricity, overhead, you know, a, a number of things. Um, as well, and you know, I was, you know, we had we had the conversation. I'm like, man, everything inside a hospital is standalone. If you think about pharmacy, physical therapy, ER centers, now you can take all the outside of a hospital, and you know, like only thing you really need in a hospital is surgery and maybe ICU. That's it. I think everything else can kind of be you know, outsource, you know, a hospital is just really there just for a network for the patient and the surgeon, because it, everything it, else can, everything else is kind of like standalone. Imaging. And it can, and I, I think I did a, a show a couple months back and I was asking that same question. Yeah. So, I mean, my gripe with third party processing is that they don't have to prove that they process the instrument in any formality like in the hospital we have to use biologicals to test our, our our sterilizers we have to do testing on our washers and ultrasonics we have to put an indicator in every pack to show that it went through the process third-party processes don't have to do that there's no indication they give you a nice little fancy package the instrument comes in you don't know what happened to that package Mm -hmm. But inspection point, it, it's up to us to inspect for damages in the package, but we don't even know if that package went through sterility. So uh, that's my gripe with third-party re uh, reprocessors. It's like you don't know what you're getting because it doesn't work like that. So when we're putting 100 instruments in a set and we think we can just soak it for five minutes and it's going to come out pristine brand new, it's not going to work. So you need the staff to be able to process things timely and correctly. You know, if we're going to have lumen items, if we're going to have these complex surgical instruments, give us the devices to properly test them and inspect them and process them. Give us the time. Da Vinci arms take 30 minutes to soak in decontamination. I can tell you right now, I can walk in any sterile processing department in the United States and no one's soaking them for 30 minutes. It's not happening. Okay, because first of all, I never see timers at the sink. So how do you know there's 30 minutes of soak time? And guess what? The water temperature in that sink isn't going to hold out for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're not going to be following the IFU or that detergent either. So there's another there's another problem right there. So it, you got to give us the time. You got to give us the resources. Um, you know, boroscopes are the big thing now, but. Not every lumen item you can throw a borescope down, so you're you're limited on what you can do with that. So yeah, can I look down every every lumen item with it? No. So I think it's a failed technology that they're giving us. You you want us to do something, but give it to us so that we can do it with everything that we're processing. If it's some, it got to be all. It has to be all because the patient deserves it, and mm -hmm. it's and 
I usually tell people, you know, we're still processing. We always talk about patient's care, but we provide a service to the nurses and the surgeons. That's mm -hmm. our, that's our job to still processes. Processes. We service the nurses and the surgeons so that they can focus on patient care. And mm -hmm. that's how we affect it. Other than that, the patient don't know who we are. We don't know who the patient is. That's not our information. We don't go, hey, hey, Mary, guess what? I processed your instrument. <laughs> Gonna look at you like, who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> she's gonna remember that nurse when she wakes up groggy. Hey, nurse Nancy took real good care of me. Yeah, because Jesse processed those instruments so that she didn't have to worry. <laughs> mm -hmm. So no, that's that's a, a, that's a, a really good point. point. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, because the patients don't know. It's like, man, Jesse, thanks for shining my instruments. Thanks for getting things yeah. sterilized. You know, we that's not something you guys you guys get. Now, should um, I'm not sure if this is a, a, a debate or, or an issue, um, because that would be a debate for me, but should hospitals list their infection rates on their websites or anything left facing you know, Again, if, you know, a hospital have more infections than others, you know, like, hey, I mean, I want to go to the hospital. I don't care how good your, your imaging center is or how good your docs are. If I have a chance of getting an infection, should, they, should that information be, be publicly available? If they want to get shut down, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they want to be real about it, if they really want to be real about it. And again, the problem with infection rates is, is you really can't trace where it comes from. You, you mm -hmm. really can't prove that the infection came from an unprocessed instrument. Mm -hmm. You really can't trace it back there because by the time that patient develops an infection, that instrument probably was processed 30 or 40 more times. So by the time it gets to it, it's like, okay, you can might see a process failure in, in, in still processing, but do you know that it happened at that moment in time? No, you can't. So it's very hard to trace that back to the instrumentation. Now we're trying to get to the point where it's, it's uh, scanning each instrument one by one so we can trace it. But again, by the time the patient develops that infection, that instrument has been processed so many times. So should they, uh, Put up their infection rate. Yeah, if they want to, like I said, if they want to get shut down, yeah. <laughs> but 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 maybe it's not up to the hospital. Maybe it's up to either the state or the local government or if they don't look. You know, it, if, if if you're if they're getting compensated by they're getting funding from Medicaid, Medicare, and you know they accept those state funded patients, it should be said, hey, we want to know if they're the infection rate. And I agree with you. I never thought about that. You can't really trace back, you know, anything to the instrument, because again, you know, by the time the patient gets that infection, it's going to be days, weeks later. So again, those instruments have been, um, you know, reprocessed, you know, a, a number of times. But, you know, again, it's all about the accountability. It's all about if you're receiving state funds, the FDA or somebody, I mean, they have Jayco now. Jayco will come in and say, hey, this is what you have to do. You know, it should be, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I and I enjoyed this conversation because not many people get it, and I appreciate your mm -hmm. passion. And, so I guess, and, I, and I, I do agree, Keith. Man, I do agree that the state, the federal government, CMS, Joint Commission should step in. But I'm gonna keep it real and 100. And it, it, I might get blowback for this and and whatever. But guess what? The the joint commissions are in the pockets of the of the hospitals, man. I worked at a top 10 hospital for most of my career. 
And the joint commit, we pass joint commission surveys every single year, and we never tested any piece of equipment for six years of my career there. We wow. did no washer testing, no ultrasonic testing. We didn't do no insulation testing of instrumentation, none of that. So how are we passing? Just because we look neat doesn't mean we are good. And we yeah. pass joint commission surveys every single time. And, you know, I, I look at Jayco, it's a service the hospital pays to get accredited. You know, so they're paying this department to say, oh, we want to, we want to have the Jayco stamp of approval. But I look at it as is basically you're paying just to get their accreditation. Yeah, they, they're yeah. not going to check. They're not going to check everything. Jayco is not, to my understanding, I know very my knowledge very limited, but it's not a state facility. It's not a federal, you know, program. It's basically like um, like a B corporation. It's like, yeah. hey, if if you pay this money, then you can get the stamp of approval. Okay, that's it. Yep, it's it's a nonprofit organization that works under the CMS. Now, the CMS is the big dogs. If mm. Jayco don't report to CMS that this hospital is in violation, then it's all good and dandy. But what they do is they give you a slap on the wrist, say, hey, you know, I found bubble gum under the desk. You know, I'm 30 days. We don't want to see that bubble gum under there. There's a bigger mm. problem if there's bubble gum under the desk. You know hey, what I mean? Man. Don't just wipe it off because guess what? It's going to happen again. Look, we, it, it's, it's, it's the reality of every hospital. Joint commission comes in. Everybody knows they're coming in. It's announced. And then we, the roaches, scatter to make everything right. Okay? Mm -hmm. We clean up. We organize everything so that when Jago comes in and we rehearse what we're going to tell Jago. New people that <laughs> break. People that are <laughs> veterans stay here so that when they ask questions, we can answer those rehearsed questions. Mm -hmm. It's never. I mean, I've rarely had a joint commission survey. The surveyor come in and I had one that really ringed us out really, really good um, that was asking all the right questions, but she really didn't know what we were doing. So somebody who's really articulate and can really speak and per se speak the panties off of them, they just say, hey, everything's good in the end. <laughs> yeah. great. You know, it, it's amazing to me. I, I worked at a hospital that, you know, our sister hospitals were chaos and they would come into our hospital and they'll nitpick on little things. And then I go, Ooh, our sister hospital is going to get it. And then when we get the reports out, oh, everything was great. I'm, what? Wait a minute. Wait, hold on. You just nitpicked over something. How is that hospital passing? It's crazy to me. It's a joke to me, honestly. It is a joke to me. It's a shame. And I always tell myself, man, if I was a Joint Commission surveyor, whoo, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm coming with a big notepad. <laughs> man, but, 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 you know, my, my, my issue is that there's no um, accountability. There's no checks and balances. Because, no, there's not. Because, you know, even with, like I said, Jacob's getting paid by the hospital. And so, like, hey, they may be getting paid 100000 and, like, oh, well, Maybe if we do an extra ten or twenty thousand dollars, we may, you know, get that little stamp of approval. There's no checks and balance. There's no police dogs that's overseeing Jayco or anything else. It's like, wow, I'm like, okay. So no, there, there is. It's supposed to be CMS, but the problem is, is CMS is not. I posted this question a while back in one of in one of the mm -hmm. um, conferences that we were mm -hmm. talking about the Joint Commission, and they were talking about all the discrepancies. And I like, well, why doesn't the CMS crack down on Joint Commission? Well, you know, the Joint Commission, the CMS does this, and we it was a whole lot of uh, curving around the question. Yeah. At the end of the day, 
yo, F, again, FDA, yo, FDA is the devil of them all, man. They're the ones that regulate, and they don't regulate the hospitals, but they regulate the medical devices. You know what I mean? So we have to go into play. Our regulatory bodies like OSHA and those those individuals, they need to make their presence more, more known in the hospital. Their faces need to come in to look at it more. And it don't. I've never seen, hmm. uh, for matter of fact, I worked in the pet food industry for 10 years of my career prior. And I don't mm-hmm. see the FDA walking there more than any food industry I've ever mm-hmm. worked in. And That's it's funny. crazy. It's crazy. Wow. I, I, I never understood that. It's like, why does people care about their pets more than they care about their families? <laughs> we gonna keep that real. <laughs> Man, you yeah. know, that is a hundred percent fact. A hundred percent fact. Because they'll pay top dollar to get those pets saved. Yeah, top dollar. We can say that conversation. You get get somebody get beat down in the street, and everybody pulls out their camera. The moment you beat up on a dog or a cat, oh hell, (laughs) no, no, (laughs) it's going up there, brother. (laughs) Man, you're not lying. You're not lying. Is there a way to still put the patient's care first while still being financially, you know, good or well? Canada and Europe does it. So why can't we? Okay. Medical care in Canada and Europe is free. Mm-hmm. They, they don't. They, patients don't have to worry about the prices of medical care. I mean, they might have to pay it in other parts of them with taxes, but mm-hmm. the doctors are still well off in those countries. So yeah, it can be done. It can be done. I'm, be done. I'm, I'm going to put it on the employers. Meaning that, you know, employers, uh, they should be more involved as far as, you know, their employee. They're the ones paying for the insurance plans. And so if, if employers say, well, hey, if, you know, all my employees are going to this hospital, this doctor, and the outcomes aren't the greatest, I think, you know, the employers should say, well, hey, we need to start not necessarily, you know, dictating, but I think the employers can be, um, you know, they can provide some kind of motivation to make sure the patient is getting really good quality care because the employers are within those markets. And I, you know, mm-hmm. Marcus has heard me say this many times is if you look at um, hospitals, hospitals are specific to the market. You know, you're not going to find, you know, a Methodist hospital that work here in Dallas, you know, in, 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 uh, in Florida or Wyoming. You're not going to find another big hospital system, you know, in, in like Grady in Atlanta. You're not going to find them in another market. Hospitals are specific to that market. And because of that, employers are specific to that market as well. So they're not a national, they may not be a national chain. And so employers need to kind of step in and just kind of helping guide the right care for, pay, for the employees more than anything because they're an employee before they become an impatient. So that's my outlook on it. Well, Jesse, man, I really want to thank you so much again for joining this show. I mean, you dropped tons of bombs, tons of knowledge. And for all the listeners out there, patients, providers, please go check out Jesse's podcast videos, stir that pot because that is exactly what he's doing in the most rightful and respectful and educational way. And it's on IG, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Jesse Lopez, thank you very much, man. I mean, this is one of the books. Keith, thank you for having me. It was a ball, man. It was a ball. (laughs) Yeah, doing it good there. (laughs) 